you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Electric People. We have my friend, my coworker, my partner, Amber Martindale, on the podcast. How are you, Amber? I'm doing great. Super excited to be here. Awesome. You look excited this time. This is our second pass, and this time you actually are beaming with excitement. So way better. Way better. (laughs) Take two. That's right. So for you guys that haven't had the pleasure of working with uh, Amber, Amber has a a pretty awesome and unique role with Vivint Solar. So she has built a a recruiting program, and this is kind of it's it's awesome. I'm excited to talk to you, Amber, because this is a, a a role that a lot of people have tried to do. But I actually don't know anybody other than you that has been able to do it with long-term sustained success. So we view you as a really valued partner on our West Coast sales teams and uh, a part of the success. So I'm actually excited to, to pick through it. And, um, you know, the model that you've created has started. I know you guys use a similar model on the East Coast now, right, with Jordan and, and and Brady and some of your recruiters mm-hmm. over there, right? Yep. So, um, Amber, you've been with us uh, officially since 2017 with Vivint Solar. Yep. Awesome. And before that, you were a salesperson, sales manager, and recruiter at Cutco. And then um, after Cutco, you helped build some of the regions over at um, our sister company at Vivint, at Vivint Smart Home. So, yep. seasoned in the industry. How long do you say you've been in the industry when people ask you, what's your number? It's almost seven years. In the whole industry? So, smart, just Vivint. Smart home and solar added together seven. But in the direct sales industry, I started in 2001. So, that would have been 19 years ago. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. How old were you when you started? 20. Now everyone yeah. knows how old I awesome. am. Thanks, Ty. Yep. <laughs> tricky. Wasn't that tricky? <laughs> Awesome. It wasn't it well, wasn't that difficult to get it out of you, to be honest. <laughs> no, I don't care. <laughs> Ty is a crafty um, one. So I'm looking at this is crazy. I'm actually looking at some of your stats right now. And when I say that this is something that people have often tried, sometimes in the industry we see it as people that say, Okay, hey, I want to recruit, I want to bring people um, to the teams because they don't want to do the other side of the job, which is knock doors and get out there, which you actually have a background in doing that. But your numbers really speak for themselves. So in um, 2017, you guys, well, combined actually of all of you years here, you've recruited 629 people that have actually produced volume. That's not people that have signed the contract. That's people that have actually come into the 629 people, which is a ton. Uh, total installs, you have almost 3,800. It's 3,795. I don't even know if you know this. Uh, last year, uh-huh. your recruits did uh, 1,197 installs. So your business is a massive flagship team. That's like the, the difference in what you, you provide. We would be 2,000 less accounts a year had it not been for your volume. The year before that, it was uh, 2,000. So really valuable to the program. Um, maybe maybe start off with a little on your background. Give us a little bit of a, a speed version on how you got into the industry and how you wound up at, at Vivint Solar with us. Yeah, so I moved, I'm originally from Northern California, real small town. I literally grew up population 2000 in the middle of nowhere um, in a real, real remote area in, in Northern California. And then I left- What I was your town knew, called I was, again? Weed, California, and I weed. went to Weed High. And- Shout out to <laughs> yep. Weed. And I, so, I desire I mean, to my- see Weed sometime. I want to meet some of those thousand people. Yeah, I mean, it's the middle of nowhere. But my whole high school graduating class, public school, was 42 people. So it was very, very small. And I, my, I think my start to sales actually started in sports, just because I've played sports my entire life. I was the one that played every single sport year round. I used to race in downhill skiing. I played volleyball, basketball, track, softball. I mean, you name it, I did it. And so I, when I turned 18, I went to school at Chico and I walked on and made the volleyball team. And 
Is Chico uh, like the big city two, up there? Oh yeah. That's like the closest big state school from where I grew up. It's about two and a half hours away. And so um, awesome. that was the big city. It's actually pretty rare. Yeah. It's pretty rare that you've had so much success in recruiting people coming from a town that small. Like a lot of people that, right? that are big recruiters are super well connected, came from a really big school or, or, or something like that, where they got a lot of their finding pool from, you know? Yeah. And so I, anyways, I, I made the volleyball team, walked on. We actually had great success in, in college. Our team went undefeated both years that I played and we made it to the state championships and it was awesome. Like 22 and 0 first time that school had ever like done really big things in volleyball. And so then I transferred into Long Beach state when I was 20 and that I moved down here to LA to Long Beach. And that's kind of where my sales career started. My first sales job was Foot Locker technically when I was going to school at Chico. Um, and so I was always like one of the most competitive people just because of sports. And so I always had like the most sock add-ons or the most laces, you know, and <laughs> things that, things the that they use as metrics, cleaner. right? Yeah. And so when I transferred into Long Beach, I had to find a summer job. I moved here at the beginning of the summer and I just randomly got a letter in the mail from this company that was hiring people um, to sell kitchen knives. And it was real random. I don't even know. I mean, everything has a path. I literally had the path to end up at that company because it was so random. But I uh, got the job a week after I moved here. And I remember calling my mom and saying, mom, I'm going to sell knives. That's the job I found in Long Beach, California. And she hated the idea of me even moving to LA. And so the idea I was walking door to door with a bag of knives in Long Beach. She was not super <laughs> excited about the idea. Um, oh, I just got the visual of Amber from, you know, the super competitive yeah. footlocker girl from Weed walking door to door in LA with a bag yeah. of knives. Yeah. So maybe that shouldn't be the maybe that shouldn't be the gear of competitive people. I I'm envisioning her wearing like a leather vest with knives all like through the inside. The knives. Yeah. On the inside. You know what I mean? Like she knocks on doors. She has her hair in braids. Like she is no joke walking yeah. around, you know, the streets. Yeah. It was, it was more like a bag under the arm, but yeah. And so <laughs> I, the, the thing about Cutco is it's more of like a, a network company where you mostly sell to friends and family. And a lot of people, you know, don't go any further than that summer job. And so my problem was I knew nobody. So I moved here with no friends, no family, the only people that I knew at the time were my 85 and 86 year old grandparents that lived in Torrance. And so that was who I started with. And so I was kind of destined to fail even with that company. And my only sales presentation that I did was with my grandparents and then my aunt and my grandparents. I mean, they were old. So it's, it's, I remember my grandpa actually making a joke that I'm not super excited about your forever guarantee on this product, considering my situation. <laughs> like he was just making jokes throughout my whole presentation. And I remember I got to the end and my grandparents were pretty well off and they bought an ice cream scoop from me. And I was really offended. I remember being mad that that was the only support I got from them. Um, mind you, these are like thousands of dollars. Yeah. And then at the end, my grandma, basically the last words as I left the house was this is cute, but you need to go get a real job, you know? And so that was my introduction to commission sales. I, I ended up getting referred to two of their neighbors and ended up building a complete network out of it. I sold over 25,000 that first summer and then was one of the top three people in the office. And then I went back to school and continued selling part-time at Long Beach State and paid my way through school. Actually decided my senior year to step away from school and open my own office, which they offered me to do. So I actually opened my own Cutco office at the age of 23. And um, that was quite an experience because it's different than opening a, a Vivint district office. Like the district managers at Vivint are incredibly blessed for the support and financial backing that you get to do this job as a leader. Um, for me, I literally remember writing the check at 23 years old for $30,000 for summer mailers to go out for advertising. I remember writing the lease that was in my personal name and all of the utilities that were in my name, the, it was a $30,000 a year lease for the office space at like 20 something hundred a month. And I was 23 years old and a hundred percent commission. I remember going in on Craigslist and buying the office furniture. Like, so talk about an experience. I interviewed and hired all my own receptionists. I had payroll. I mean, everything in my name at 23, which was pretty crazy. And we did well. I mean, I, I basically, my attitude was everyone's against me right now. My whole family thinks I'm crazy for dropping out of school to go run a knife business. And so I got to make this work. 
And so I actually, when I left home, I left home at 18 and was a hundred percent financially on my own ever since then. So I've never gone back since. And my mom was a single mom. And so I knew that it was on me. And so I, it was kind of like, I love one thing Vivint always talks about is like burning the ships. Right. And like, you make this work because it's your option. And that was always been my attitude since I was young. And so I went out and we killed it. I mean, we did a million dollars in knife sales out of Torrance, California, my first year open. I was the first female district manager in the history of Cutco since 1949 when they opened to ever do a million dollars in sales my first year. And then we went on to win like 1949. six Yeah, they've been around You're a while. You were the first female manager to do a million dollars of sales in 70 years? In my first year open, yeah. And then we went on, I mean, we went on to, I had a team of 80 sales reps by my second year underneath me out of just one office. And I was running weekly sales meetings with 80 people and we had to run it in the parking lot because we couldn't fit in the office. And I had a 19 year old assistant manager that literally, you know, did their best, but was a child that was helping me run everything. And that person had started with me the summer before. And so it was a, quite an experience. I mean, I ended up developing district managers and branch managers and my career sales by the end ended was somewhere around like seven or 8 million. And it it was quite a run. Like Cutco does a really good job of recognizing people and making people feel really good for what they do. And so they create a, a very incredible loyalty for how strange and interesting the business is. It's, it was quite an, I mean, I, I tell people this when I run training at the boot camps for Vivint. Uh, I don't remember my 20s for different reasons than most people don't remember their 20s. I don't remember my 20s because I literally worked 90 to 100 hours a week. I was in the office every morning by 7 a.m., seven days a week, and did not leave until 11 p.m. And that is not an exaggeration. I missed Christmases I because we ran a huge seminar the day after Christmas every year. I missed holidays. I never played volleyball for seven years straight. I mean, I sold my soul to make this thing work. But I look back and it created a lot of who I am today. But talk about an experience. Like I I was drinking the Kool-Aid. I was in, you know. That is crazy. Yeah, I, I would love, I mean, that's something that is unprecedented at any company I've worked at, you know, especially in such a male dominant industry, you know, and direct sales seems to be such a male dominant industry. And so to have a female at such a young age commanding an army of 80 plus sales guys is insane. I mean, it literally is insane. I want to find like some people from that team and interview them about Amber. Like I want to like hear, like, what was Amber like running this 80 man team? Was she just this boss, you know, that everyone was just like, holy crap, there's Amber. Like she like, well, like, what were you like as a manager as a 23 year old running 80 reps? I've always believed when you lead people that you lead through where they want to go and tell people where you see them and then they rise to that. But at the same time, get to their level in order to do it. So I think as a leader, I was really good with the one-on-one, but then also rallying the team. And when I speak to people in a group, it makes them feel like I'm individually talking to them because I've done the legwork one-on-one first. Um, I don't know. I think just giving people hope of who they could become because everyone's always insecure that they're not doing enough or they're not becoming enough. And so I think positive is a big part of it, but also I'm, I think I'm very good at being blunt with people, but getting away with it because they know my heart's in the right place. And so I'm good at being honest, but at the same time, um, following it up with here's why, you know? And so I, I've gotten away with a lot with being able to be more direct with people, which I think people respect, you know, in all levels, whether they're working with you or, or you work for them, not being afraid to really tell them where you see them and what's holding them back you know, and then follow up with a lot of love as to why you want them to get there. Did you enjoy managing? Yeah. That's actually the one thing I kind of miss a little bit. I talked to Ty about a year ago about becoming a district manager just because I was missing the leadership. Um, And I've kind of evolved what I'm doing into being a little more hands-on by being able to run boot camps and help coach reps a little bit more. But I definitely miss the the late night conversations where someone wants to quit and you talk them off the ledge or the 
you know, the conversations when they get their first install and they're in tears or that, you know, they make that first sale. Like there's definitely those moments that I know I'm missing out on, but there's also a lot of work that goes into managing too, which is I think why I do well in my current role, because I understand what a lot of these DMs are going through, you know, the, the mental pressure that is placed on a leader. I would say you actually have positioned yourself really well to still be a part of a lot of that because yeah. Adam, I don't know if you know how Amber is structured, but she's actually a partner on every team she recruits to, which is a really hard deal to get done. You have to actually add value or else people are quick to write you off and say, why am I in this partnership? But literally every person that Amber recruits into a team, she forms a partnership with the leadership. So she's kind of like a DM on 15 teams, right? Like a, that plays a very specific role. And so I, I actually think that's one of your strengths is you found a way to, to take what you're good at and what you love and still, you know, you focus on recruiting primarily, but you still are in touch with all of these people, right? Like you, you talk to these guys when they get their first install and you have talked people off the ledge. I know it's not your full-time thing, but I think people that are great at their job and like are passionate about it, they'll usually find a way to use their life skills to like infuse that into work. I think you do a good job at that. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely get that vibe still, which after talking to you a year ago, that's one thing I've made it a point to is I get to create this the way I want it to be. And so I've definitely been more Mm -hmm. involved in the last year and kind of created it the way I want it to be, which is we've seen better results from it too. And it's been great. Yeah. So back to this idea of how you started that office, the, the guys that, you know, that's kind of how direct sales was back in the day. Like I remember taking people on preseason trips. You guys remember these and like using your debit card and buying everybody food and getting everybody's hotel rooms and getting all the vans and all the gas and all that kind of stuff. And I was talking to Nick Hansen the other day about this idea of intrapreneurship. And I want to get your thoughts on this, but intrapreneurship would be where, Hey, you're running a business with company resources, right? Like you have, you mentioned it, like how blessed the DMS are to walk into a to a room that you know is leased by the company, to, to have electricians, to have installers, to have office administrators that are managed by the company, so that we can we it's like it's like being an athlete and walking into a program where you have a chef and a trainer and facilities. Maybe talk about that idea of intrapreneurship because you probably meet a lot of people that want to run their own business, and I know a lot of people that are successful here, yourself included, feel like they do run their own business. That's actually one of the tools that I use when I talk to people on the phone, because a lot of the guys that I'm bringing over are making six figures somewhere else, right? And so it's not just a conversation of come knock doors and let's make this great. I mean, it's a, it's a serious conversation to get people to leave what they're doing, not even to mention the full commission part of it, but it's a, you know, it's a serious sell for a lot of these guys to walk away. And so for me, I, one of the exact phrases that I use every time I talk to someone is the thing I love the most about Vivint Solar is that I said when I was in my MBA program 10 years ago, by the way, I did go back to school and graduated at 28 and then got my MBA uh, two years after that. But anyways, that's another story. Um, but I, when I was in my MBA program, I, I, my idea coming out of it was that I'm either going to run my own business or I'm going to work for a company that gives me the structure, but also autonomy to feel like I run my own business. And that's one thing I think Vivint nails better than any company I've ever seen in my life is that I literally feel like I run my own business inside of a multi-billion dollar company. And so we have the structure, we have the, the training, we have the payroll, we have everything that I don't like doing. But we also have all the things I loved about running my own business, you know, the, the freedom, the autonomy, the control, the uncapped commission, all the perks. So for me, it's the best of both worlds inside of Vivint. That's like exactly what I say to people. And it's from the bottom of my heart because I'm literally living inside of everything you could ever want on the checklist of a per- the perfect position. And I think the DMs are doing the same thing. We know before this interview, I was sort of expecting to talk a lot about recruiting and in you know your role within the company out there and after the first few minutes i'm actually really intrigued by your cutco experience and your management experience and you know building such a huge team at a young age but also with recruiting like you 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 alluded to those late night combos talking someone off the ledge of going to finding another opportunity and i think a lot of times especially our managers don't realize recruiting doesn't stop once a rep is actually with Vivint Solar and even selling and even doing well. Recruiting is something that never stops. Um, And 
I think we all have to continue to be recruited to the opportunity constantly. And something that we talk about all the time with our leadership is every correlation meeting, um, you know, it's important that we highlight the good things the company's doing all the time because sometimes we get caught up in that whirlwind of like, there's holds on my accounts or this, that, whatever. Um, and I wanted to just get your take on this. So I was having a conversation. We have a group out here we call the Foundry. It's kind of our our, our best reps that aren't managers yet. And it's a leadership development program on the East Coast that we have. And we were talking to them the other day about um, they're all they all have a specific mentor they're mentoring right now, a mentee they're mentoring. And what I've started noticing with these guys is the rep that they're mentoring in those daily conversations, the mentee is actually pulling them down rather than the mentor pulling them up. And, you know, you mentioned those, those late night combos. And I think a lot of our, our leaders, like they feel like punching bags at times where they're always dealing with everybody's issues and whatever. And it's really easy to let those negative combos like pull you down as a leader. Right. And so my challenge to everyone was, after every one of those combos, I want you to ask yourself, did my mentee pull me down or did I pull him up? And so managing 80 something reps and, and you have a lot of leadership experience and a lot of recruiting experience, obviously right now, what would be your advice to leaders or our best reps who are being asked to help mentor younger reps um, in the company in handling those conversations where reps are coming to them with a lot of frustrations and, you know, things that they're being negative about, like what advice do you have for them to, to handle those combos with empathy, but also the rep should leave like feeling motivated after the combos over, you know, hundred percent. And I think that is actually our biggest area of growth right now in Vivint because we've made some adjustments lately in the last, what, six months where we've moved everything to squads, right? So now within every single office, there's many teams and many, many groups, basically. And so there's a lot of people that are placed in leadership positions right now that may not have been in the past on East Coast and West Coast. And so one of the things that I used to do coaching my assistant managers is that I made sure that. I always met with them at least twice a week. One time was social, just hanging out, getting time with them so that they knew that they loved me and they loved the company and they were just relaxing and actually remembering why they love being around people. And then one time we always, we called it a staff meeting, but we always got together. And I think what happens right now is that what I've seen anyways, is that sometimes the staff meetings get cut short or they get rushed because they're before or right after a correlation meeting. And we just have too much going on. And that's actually, in my opinion, right now, the most important meeting of the entire week is getting the leadership and these new up and coming squad leaders on the right page where they're actually you know, their head is right. Otherwise, I, I, you know, you guys have all read the leadership books. Your, your staff is going to be 50% as good as you are, right? And so if we're not giving them 100% of our effort, then what is that percentage going to go down to? And then we wonder why seven months down the road, our leaders or our, our new poll of candidates doesn't look as sharp or they, the, the results aren't as good. And I think what, what's happening right now is that our, our next level la- leaders they're already overwhelmed with the job, but then they're now supposed to manage these six people and they're feeling a little bit overwhelmed, at least from what, I, what I've seen out here a little bit. And so getting a little bit more time with them, one of, the, one of the big things I used to say to everybody is, what are you feeding yourself with every morning before you ever get to have conversations with these reps? Because if they're not mentally in the right place, they're not going to be able to give back. That's one thing that I love about working with Ty is that Ty's always constantly bring in new stuff in like, no, I read this, I did that, uh, check this out from this book or that. And you can tell that he's constantly having to keep himself sharp in order to stay sharp for the leaders. And are, are the DMs doing that, right? Are we doing that? Are our squad leaders doing that? And are they feeling empowered? Cause all we need is one nugget a day, right? So I think Ty always promotes having the power hour, right? Or your one hour in the morning, like, is that actually happening? Cause when you feel right, you're going to you know, it's going to bleed off onto your, your staff. Um, one thing I always also teach is I think it's important for squad leaders to have 
two or three talks that they have in their back pocket because they run into the same problems with reps, right? It doesn't really change. It's kind of the same challenge. This rep wants to quit or this rep wants to um, take time off or this rep is struggling mentally, you know, with the job and they really want to do well and they're just running against the wall. And so like have those three talks kind of mapped out with the staff so that they know how to navigate it. And then they have an outline of exactly how to handle it to bring that rep back to action. I think when, when they're just left in the dark to like have the conversation, that's when it gets emotional. And then they leave the, the rep or the, the, the mentor leaves with all that emotion on top of them. Whereas if they have an outline and they know like, okay, I need to just take this rep through this outline and then put, you know, love on top of it, then I'm going to be able to pull them out of it and come out of it. Like, for example, here's one of the, I know I'm kind of talking in a circle here, but here's the, the example. So one of the things I always tell my reps is there's two reasons why reps succeed at Vivint, right? One, they work the hours. Two, they have a positive attitude. Like hands down, someone can be successful if they do those two things. Um, and so think of the job like this. This is what I would teach my staff to tell their reps. Think of the job like this. At the beginning of the year, everybody has a $2,000 check sitting on their lap, right? Our $200,000 check sitting on their lap. And that is your income for the year. You can write the check bigger if you want, but at least 200 grand. And every day you go out and you put in six hours or five hours a day, whatever your set number is from two to seven, you go out and work or one to seven, you're in the field, whatever your set time is. Every time you do what you say you're going to do, you get to keep that $200,000 check. And every time you go out and you cut a corner for the day, and you know what cutting a corner means, whether that's leaving early, showing up late, not giving your best effort, sitting in your car, watching Netflix, whatever it is, you can cut a small corner off that check. And it takes $1,000 off every day that you cut a corner. And at the end of the year, you get to cash that check. And what's left is exactly what you earned based on the small decisions that we made every day. And so today, you know, and then you take that conversation from telling that story any direction, right? So today, I'm proud of you, Ty, because Ty, you went out and worked the hours, the numbers will roll out. Your, the best days happen after the worst ones. Today was just a bad day, but you still get to hold on to that $200,000 check because you put in the effort. Or if they cut the corner, I tell them how today you cut that corner, but make sure tomorrow's different. And so I think just telling stories and like relating with people, I think sometimes also mentors want to feel like they're, they have to be strong all the time for that person. And not, they don't know how to get to their level sometimes because they think that'll be like, you know, not being a good leader. I think it's good to relate to people, but then bring it back and say, I totally understand how you feel. I've wanted to quit. If I said I didn't want to quit, I'd be lying to you. But here's why we can do this. And here's what I did last time I was in that position, relating to people, but also giving real examples that they can relate to. That's awesome advice. I, yeah, it's, it's not that I'm surprised by it, but it's so applicable. It's like, you know, if you think about all the things that leaders do have prepared, you call them prepared talks, right? But like, think of all the things that we have prepared. I got a door approach prepared. I got to sit down prepared. I got a recruiting pitch prepared and I got a recruiting pitch for someone that has experience and someone that doesn't and someone that's a leader and someone that's not. And I got objections talks, but how often do we spend time in retention or in giving vision? And do we, have we thought through the best way to do that? That's, that's actually great advice. I hope people listen and apply that. It's really good. I'm just, well, just one yeah. more thing. I've actually, I've done a lot of thinking lately just about the position and the type of personalities that I think do the best in, in Vivint Solar. And so one of the things that I've started saying at boot camps to all the reps, and I think this is good for managers to also echo throughout their teams, is that the reason that this job shakes people a lot at the very beginning, the, I'm saying the first six weeks, and there's that hump of like, you make it over the hump and you're going to make it in the company probably, but there's that, that you know, critical first six weeks. What I found is that, and, and we've all talked about this in different ways, but this job is like a mirror, right? And what happens is, is when you come into this position, it exposes everything that you don't like about yourself all of your insecurities. And this happens at every level of the business. So if I'm a rep and I'm getting promoted to management, guess what? That mirror is going to come back up again because I'm being exposed with all the things that I didn't like about my leadership or what I've troubled in the past. But for a brand new rep, it's like all the things like what, maybe you feel like you're a burden to people. Maybe you feel like you don't deserve success and you have imposter syndrome. Maybe you don't actually have the work ethic and you know that you're the kind of person that's lazy when no one's watching. Maybe whatever, the, whatever your thing is that you know, and we all have our thing, 
whatever it is, it gets shined in your face every single day when you're brand new. And so the people that make it in this company, and there's a lot of them, we have one of the highest success rates, but the people that make it are the ones that are willing to look in that mirror and finally face the things that they don't like about themselves and do something about it and slowly start to break those walls down and actually overcome it. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the people that don't, they're just not ready to face the things that they don't like about themselves. And so unfortunately, they'll go somewhere else that allows them to not have to do have to do that. But I think the insecurities that come out in this job are one of the, and by the way, when you do face them, that's when in your life, you never look back. And it was literally the single greatest thing that ever happened to you because you overcame it. And now you're the most successful version of yourself. But I will tell you that I think that is one of the single greatest important things that actually holds people back in this position. Let's breathe that one in. Let's let that one, let's let that one marinate on the brain for a second. It's a lot to unpack. That was really good, man. Like in, in another way, you know, I was talking to a recruit um, yesterday who has a lot of experience in the industry and he asked, he's like, okay, well, what's the schedule of someone that earns this? And I was like, I actually like that question because a lot of people say, well, how much do I have to sell in order to earn this? And I said, at the end of the day, the money comes. If you can impress yourself, the the money is going to blow you away, right? But focus on impressing yourself, which is the same thing, right? Like face the mirror. Like if you can actually be honest and authentic and real with yourself and go to work, that's where you unpack all the all the potential in this job because literally you can earn as much or, or, or grow as much as you want, which I think you've been a great um, example of. I do want to I do want to ask you this because you and I talk a lot and you talk a lot about how and I appreciate it because you you're a you you make a lot of deposits with me. You I leave feeling good often. And um, one of the things is oh, I just you know I, I'm so grateful to work here. I love the, the the tools and resources in this leadership team. I'm actually interested in why you've had more success in your current role doing what you're doing than you have in past roles, uh, as long as that's accurate. But when I look at these numbers, it's thousands and thousands of accounts done a completely different way than most people before you, although we do have people doing a similar thing now. So what, what is it? What, what do you enjoy, appreciate, or what do you cite as, as useful tools that are helping you have this success? Well, first of all, a cre- big credit to you, because I think that I've, I've seen a lot of the regions and a lot of the areas, and I think Vivint Solar as a whole is amazing, but you can't duplicate Ty Williams <laughs> just because what you've done in Southern California is unheard of. The Just the fact that when you came in, you basically restarted everything and built it the way you wanted it built. I think that's one of the reasons that I was just telling uh, Randy the other day, I said, you know, what's incredible. You don't hear about Ty losing DMs. Like that tells me like, it's so rare for you to lose somebody in our region that it's almost shocking the amount of retention. And I think you do all the things that I was just talking about. Um, So I would say that one definitely is your leadership is a part of the reason that I have the structure that I have to be able to recruit for because I think a lot of the same ways that you do. And so I think when I bring people into an environment where DMs and leaders are already thinking that way, it definitely has made my job smoother. So thank you for that. I actually don't know how much you know about this, but it's a lot of that credit has to, it goes to Jeremy Long and to Taylor Turnbull because- frankly, they shaped your job before I believed in it. They really did. Uh, you know, yeah. I remember that, I remember that, con- I remember the conversation at the, at the, the hotel in Huntington beach when Jeremy's like, Hey, this is what we want to do. And initially I, I just have so much experience with it where I was like, I don't know, dude. And he's like, no, they can do it. And then it was really, you know, Jeremy went back to these coasts and it was Taylor that really kind of shaped your opportunity. Of course you rose to the occasion and everybody's a contributor to the culture, but I'd be remiss if I didn't shout those guys out because they're a lot of the reason for that early foundation. Yeah. They, they kind of made me believers, which is, which is cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. But there's also been a, there's also been a bunch of people that have tried it. So I don't, I don't think Amber should sell herself short in any way because there's been some really talented people attempt a similar role and job and it hasn't worked out. So yeah, like, like not you're, just a few, like 30, 40, 50 people that have tried it. You know, and it's and it it really takes a special because the thing about your job and this is what I've noticed uh, um, on the East Coast with like Jordan and Brady the guys that are doing you know similar roles. It's a really lonely job, and um, 
comparatively to being a DM or being a director or whatever. And, and, you know, they're kind of like, and they don't have as many people to compare themselves to, you know, as a DM does. So it's like when you're in a DM role, you have this 20, 30, 40, 70 guys that you're kind of like guys and girls that you're comparing yourself constantly to. And like, there's this constant like heat check where you can see where you're at. Like if, if you slowed down 30%, it would take Ty, Taylor, these guys out there, it would take them a while to even notice that you'd sort of slowed down. You know what I mean? Like, and all of a sudden they'd be like, I feel like we haven't gotten as many recruits lately. Like, is everything going on with Amber? Like, you know, like it would take a little bit for them to like figure it out. So like the, the amount of discipline, the, the self-motivation, like you really are a unique talent in a special talent of someone who has taken an opportunity in, not only run with it, but like, you know, just owned the opportunity. So it's pretty impressive. Um, I just, I just wanted to say though, like from the beginning, like Ty and Taylor, both the two of you, and and I know that um, Jeremy definitely played a role, but directly Ty and Taylor are the reason I'm here. Like Taylor went to bat with smart home basically to get me to come over. So I'm forever grateful for both of you. But what I was meaning is, is not like why I'm here, but like the structure, the way things are ran, the consistency that you've put in place as the VP of this area. I think that's definitely laid a foundation for what I do. Um, But I mean, the reason that I think my program works hands down is because I care more than I probably should about every applicant. I mean, I'm sweating at the end of every recruiting call that I'm doing. I'm I mean, I'm doing everything. I'm doing the door pitch on these people the first time I meet them. I'm doing, I mean, I, they know everything about the job. And then I tell them what's going to happen to them before it even happens so that the whole way through the recruiting process, no one's caught off guard. Expectations are always met, at least to the best of my ability. And I'm following up with them to make sure that those things are met, just reassuring them that, yes, this is what I told you it happened and this is what is happening. I'm not just telling them to go dump their IDs off. I'm actually setting the appointment for them to go take their IDs in. I mean, I'm holding their hand the whole way through and making sure that I'm celebrating the small victories, their first AC, I'm reaching out. I'm So there's, I mean, I'm definitely not perfect at it because it's one person trying to manage 200 people right now. But I think I'm always constantly going and I'm always thinking about what I can do more, what I can do next. And so I guess I've just been programmed that way from when I did work for Cutco is like, it's, it always, it's, I always called it controlled chaos, right? Like it's, you're doing everything you possibly can at all possible moments and it still never feels like enough, but at least, you know, you helped these 150 people today or whatever it was. I mean, if I looked back at my text and call thread, it's pretty deep every day. It's probably close to your guys. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I, I wanted to also something that I took away from your comments are when you're talking about Ty and, the, and you said the platform that he's given you to recruit to every office in the company has a, you know, quote unquote, uh, corporate recruiter um, funneling people to their teams right now. And I guess, could you just give them like a piece of advice on providing that platform to recruit to and how critical it is for you as a recruiter, even with your own mentality? Like, cause I, I was, t- I was having a conversation with um, Jordan, a place the other day and just talking about just naturally, he tends to funnel people to the teams that are just killing it, that are just doing really well because He's like, I know that I'm putting this recruit into an environment that I'm really confident they're going to be successful in. And so you might have some managers or some, you know, reps going, you know, how come we don't ever get any corporate recruits or how can we get less than them or whatever? So maybe, and, and I know that you guys try not to be biased and you try not to do things that are unnatural, but maybe just your own mindset and just how critical it is for even our reps to be a part of that environment they're creating for new people to come into the company. Yeah. I mean, the office is, I'm lucky because I would say 95% of the offices I work with, we've built a great relationship and they actually do an incredible job with the reps. But if I was to ever in the past give critiques or say like what we could do to set up, set it up better, I think having consistent interview times, um, it sounds silly, but like just always having times where, you know, these are the two or three times a week that we do interviews. It's not call me or text me when you get someone. 
Um, it's really hard to be consistent with candidates when the chain, the times are always changing. So having a consistent schedule, making sure that if there's changes to the schedule, like a team meeting gets canceled because they're taking everyone to the beach, that they let the recruiters know because it looks really unprofessional when we cancel on someone last minute for the interview or they show up to the office and, you know, no one's there. That, yeah. Um, and then once I, I think even once they meet with somebody, um, making sure that the person, this is a big thing I've noticed is a lot of, a lot of managers that don't quite, um, recruit a lot. They, they feel like they have to sell someone on the job by the time they, they get, you know, they talk to them. And I feel like people need to feel more interviewed in this job because a lot of times the way we've recruited in the past is we just bring a friend to the meeting, right? Or we do a recruiting event and they just bring a buddy in. And so it's more of like, here's all the reasons why you should want to do this. And it almost feels like we hire everybody with a heartbeat and then just see who sticks. And so if we're going to get high caliber people, even if they're friends, I want them to still feel interviewed and I want them to still feel like they earned the position. And so that's one thing I really make it a point to do is to keep it feeling like an actual interview process. I let them know, you know, you're going to meet with the managers and afterwards I will follow up with you and I'll let you know how it goes. And we can talk about whether it's a good fit at the end of it. So the, I, you know, a lot of times I don't want them showing up to the office feeling like they already got the job. And so they feel like they've actually earned it. And there's a, a big dance between that when you're recruiting people of making them feel like they're earning the position. You know, I've never... I think one time ever, Ty, Ty offered to give someone money that I brought in because they were like coming with a team or something. Other than that, I've never done an incentive for one single one of those recruits that's come into the company. Uh, Taylor might have one time, but other than that, and that guy didn't even work out. And so I don't think we need to pay people to work here. You know, I think that the opportunity is big enough and what we have to sell is strong enough that we don't need to do anything else because it's literally an, inc it's the best opportunity I've ever seen in my life. So that's all we need is we don't need to beg people to work here. Have you, mm, have you found that there's a certain type of uh, person that does better or worse at this job? And is it more of a personality trait? Is it a background they have like if you're recruiting someone and all of a sudden you hear a piece of their background or you're talking to someone when is that point where like the light bulb goes off for you and you're like this person's gonna do really well yeah if someone and then of course um, by the way by the way before you answer by the way we all know that like i know me personally i've recruited a ton of people over the years I have been so confident someone is going to absolutely crush it. And then they're really bad. <laughs> and then I've also been like, you know what? Like, I don't think he's going to do very well or she's going to do very well, but whatever, I'll give her a shot. And all of a sudden a year later, they're the best rep on the team. So especially I know it's an inexact science, but especially in solar. <laughs> yep. I have so what a do you million, look for? What's, yeah. like, what's like the thing where you're like, oh, they're going to be amazing. Yeah, I have a million examples for both of those where it was a guy or a girl that I thought was going to be amazing and they weren't and vice versa. And it's the coolest stories. I almost, I always root for the ones that you're like, there's a 0% chance this person's going to do this and do well. And then they end up making a lot of money <laughs> their first year. Um, but it, it's pretty amazing. So what what I would say is that what I tell people, and I try and say this every time, to either weed them out or just like have them start that mirror right away. As I say, the people that do, I've narrowed it down to two things as to what really makes someone successful in this job. And the first one is it's the type of people that when no one's watching you and no one's around, you can be extremely disciplined and do hard things when no one's watching you. If you can do that at this job and you can show up every day and take the emotion out of the position, you'll do, you'll do very well. And then the second type of, of characteristic that it takes is it's people that genuinely at the end of the day believe that everything is going to work out and that they have the capability to do so. And so, yeah, you can say, I just mean they're positive people, but yeah, I don't mean fake positive. I mean that they just genuinely believe at the end of the day that things work out and they don't have to be jumping on the table optimistic, but they're just, they, they're, their mindset is it's going to work out. And they can do hard things when no one's watching. And then I tell them, you know, there's certain personalities that are certain things in our life that create that type of personality. I think sports is a big one. Military actually has been a big one. But any, really anyone that's pushed themselves to do something extremely hard, 
and no one was watching them do it. So they were doing it just for their own personal gratification. Those people do well. And then I transition and I say, so tell me, Adam, what's the one thing in your life that you're the most proud of that you've accomplished that no one was watching you while you were doing it? And so a lot of times that puts them on the spot. And Hold they, on, you know, let him answer. Okay, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you're putting me on the spot. Is that damn treehouse? I knew it, she was just. I knew she was just giving an example, Ty. So I wasn't thinking about it. Um, <laughs> man, the one thing that I pushed myself when no one was watching. Um, gosh, that's a big question. Uh, Amber, I, think, I don't know if he'd get the job from you right now. I don't know if you'd hire <laughs> this guy. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, I made a treehouse, Ty. I made that tree house. No one tree was watching house. back in that forest. We'll, be, that forest. we'll be in touch. We'll be that in touch. Was... <laughs> <laughs> the craftsmanship. No, I do think. Yeah. I mean, door to door, but door to door sales, to your point, that is the ultimate test of how you act when no one's watching. Because, like, we're not, the, the management is not, management's not professional babysitters. Like, we, we can, it's like, we can tell you all the things to say. We can tell you how to handle situations. We can train you on how to do everything. But when push comes to shove, like you're still the one that has to go drive into a neighborhood, get out of your car and go knock on the door. And then after I always say, it's not like, that's not even the hardest part. The hardest part is after like the first door and it's a really bad experience. And then you're just like, Oh, and it's hot and it, or it's cold or it's, a little rainy or whatever. And then your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend's calling you saying, Hey, when are you going to be home tonight? Like, I want to go out with our friends or like, there's just a million things that you'd rather do than be out being told no all day, you know? So, um, it's a real, real test of fortitude when door to like, and that's why I have just so much respect for anyone, anyone that does door to door sales, that it has moderate success, I have a ton of respect for because you just know those inner battles that they've all had with themselves. They've negotiated with themselves on a daily basis, on an hour to hour basis, you're negotiating with yourself. And so, um, you know, it really is like the, I think the ultimate test of self-discipline. So it's a great interview question uh, for sure. I think it just makes people think and it makes it, it's not the question they researched on Google, right? And it's really what it does take mm -hmm. to be successful. And it, it you find out p serious stuff about people too, which makes them vulnerable, which makes them trust me, which makes them then bond right away at the beginning. And there's a lot of psychology behind it too, but I think I'm, I'm good at breaking people like from the professional fake world into being authentic. And that's kind of my, one of my, my, keys within recruiting is i mean recruiting selling it's no different than what you get what you guys are doing on the doors i mean it's it's constantly selling people i think a big part of recruiting is telling people what they need to hear without them physically saying it to you and so i'm reading people as i hear them at the beginning i always have everyone tell me their two minutes about who they are and so I'm, i know everything about them i know enough within the first two minutes of just listening to them talk i haven't even looked at their resume yet and i'm like just tell me who you are where you're from and what you do, why you'd be good at this. And they, they go, you know, they go off for a little bit and I can tell exactly what they're going to need to hear to be good at this job within two minutes, you know? Mm. So I think, I, I think it's I fitting think, it. Yeah. I even think back on that question. It, it makes, I think it makes the interviewee kind of learn about himself. Like, as I'm thinking about that, I'm like, wow, that's, there's very few questions that make you kind of stop and think and like face the mirror again. It's like, it's like, Hey, let me put this in front of you. What do you see? No, what do you actually see? You're like, um, fear. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think it's a great, I think it's a great question. Um, I think part of it too, um, Adam, I know you guys have a program similar on the East coast, but you talk about this kind of innate ability. Um, you know, i Seth Godin is my dude. I'm sure you know that by now, but Seth Godin, I, I love everything that dude's ever written, but, um, he said, your art is what you do when no one can tell you how to do it, which is what you're explaining right now. You're explaining something that's like pretty artful. Um, but when I look at your process, a lot of, a lot of your success comes from just the unsexy stuff, kind of the mundanity of excellence in your process, because what you do 
is you know you'll 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 do a phone interview with every potential um, interviewee, one on one. Right? This isn't like, hey, 100 people come in the room because I've done 10,000 of these things and whatever. So they have to actually show up to the phone interview, right? And then if they're good, they come in for an in-person interview. I think even the fact that they have to get on the phone at a certain time and then come meet you face-to-face, you're eliminating a lot of people. You probably do. Like people that don't show up or can't make it or can't pull it together or whatever. Then you do a personal interview. And then if they make the cut there, they have to show up to a boot camp. And if they show up to a boot camp, they can get onboarded and they need to bring their IDs and then they need to get through training. So if I'm a DM, the reason I love Amber Martindale is because you're delivering to me a person that's done a phone interview, responded with a face-to-face interview, showed up to a four-hour boot camp with their IDs, has done online training, has a uniform and a name badge. It's not like, hey, here's a text. I met this dude. See what you can do with him. It's here's Ty. He's I'm 10 hours into this guy. He knows how to get online. He has an iPad. He has a shirt. He's here for the meeting. He's ready to shadow somebody and be a part of the team. To me, that is value. That is worth it, right? Layer on top of that, your skills, right? But it's almost like you said, what makes a rep good at this is can you do hard things? Can you spend the time? You look at these recruits. I think the fact that they make it through your, your mundane checklist of show up, answer, have this done, and then get the introspective stuff it's a really special program. Like, I don't know if you ever think through like, wow, most people probably don't put people through those steps, but I'm like you, I don't want to deal with someone that can't show up somewhere on time. Don't even come. Don't even show up. If you can't figure out how to make an iPad work, there's not even a button on it. This job is not for you. But if you can, and you are interested, then come join us and let's, let's be a part of this thing. Who, I know you have a lot of them. Who are your standouts? Who are your ones? I was just going to ask too. I was just going to ask who's your favorite. Yeah. Who's your favorite story? I have one Um, of yours, but I'm interested in what you would say. Yeah. I have quite a few of them. I, I would definitely say Richard Corey is one of them. That's what I was going to say. Rich. He's uh, he's like number one standout is just, man, that he's just amazing. Franchise member, leader in the market came through Amber has been humble and loyal and hardworking and, Funny story about Rich. So Rich showed up to the interview and I ran his face-to-face interview as well as the phone interview. And so when he showed up to the office with his face-to-face interview two years ago, he ran out of paper and his printer. And so he printed it on by, on like 20 by 24 paper. (laughs) Like it was, and the font was this big. Yeah. Like who does that? And so he showed up with his resume and he, yeah, and it was four-folded, so he fold, unfolded it and handed it to me. It took up the entire desk. And He's like, like trying to forgive me now. Happy meal. It was like yeah. a Happy Meal box that he yeah. had like and if you guys, up. If you know Rich, his big smile, he's like, here's my resume. And I was like, I'll never forget <laughs> this guy. So, yeah. And then I would say another one is Ellis down in San Diego South. He's one of those Absolutely. ones where it's like Ellis went out and Ellis guest, he went out his first year, just slayed it and killed it, completely changed his life. And it's just, you root for those people. He was in New Zealand. I mean, he, he made some serious money his first year and just really taught himself principles that will stay with him for the rest of his life or a great guy. But I mean, Ellis, like, even there's new be a rapper. That's what he wanted yeah. to be. He wanted to be a rapper. And then he, it was like super successful door to door sales or keep going down the hip hop trail. I'm glad he chose this yeah. one. I don't know. There's Adam Jones is brand new in the, in Adam Cox's office and he was a truck driver and uh, a bouncer at a bar. And you would just never guess. Like I remember even on the interview, I was like, there's something about this guy. Like I shouldn't be hiring him. I, I tell Adam this all the time, but I said, I like you though. You know, I was like, there's something about you. And I just believe you. And so I even remember calling Adam. I was actually at the the Orange County like circle up meeting with all the leaders and we ran it at the Orange County Hotel. And that's where I was standing in the room in the private hotel with, with you guys. I was standing in that room talking to Adam Cox about Adam Jones. And I said, there's this guy coming in for an interview today. I don't know. There's something about him. I said, give him a shot before you judge that he was like, you know, nothing that Vivint Solar would normally look at. I said, but give him a shot. And now he's absolutely like, an up and coming rising star in that office and he's killing yeah, he's it. And I'm great. so, 
And he's such a positive well, it's, force. It's obvious you, um, you tend to see the best in people, but what, what are some things I know for me personally, like there are some things through the course of a conversation in an interview that are like instant turnoffs for me as well, that I'm like, yeah, I'm all set. Like I'm not hiring. Yep. You. Like I, like as much as we need someone right now in this office, I, I want no part of you near my office. You know what I mean? So yep. what are some things like, cause I think, I actually think there, um, that some people are just bad at being interviewed, but they could actually be pretty effective sales reps or pretty effective employees, but they just make some bonehead mistakes. Like, saying something negative about their previous employer or just like whatever it is. You know what I mean? So are there some things that, or maybe you have an example of someone where you're like, this thing was going great. And all of a sudden I was just so turned off by this applicant and just like lose my number. I mean, yeah, my phone interviews are about 30 to 45 minutes each. And I did 10 of them yesterday. So I run into these people probably two or three or four a day, just to give you an idea. Um, yesterday I had a perfect example. I had a guy yesterday and he actually had some solar experience. It was a year of solar experience and he had done loans and banking, but he was so arrogant and just so like not paying attention to the interview. Like this isn't even worth my time. Like, but yeah, you guys would be great to have me like just the comments and the arrogance. Like it just doesn't fit what we want and what we are. And I, I'm not desperate. My, my attitude with everybody is we would love to have you and I am going to sell you hard on this job, but we don't need you. And so you're not doing us any gifts or favors in the interview by, you know, interviewing with us. And so, I mean, I have hundreds of people applying. And so I'm not in a desperate position, you know, for someone that doesn't respect people. You're just not going to fit the culture here. And I, I have no problem in a very positive way letting them go. It's like, Ty, I know Ty, uh, one of your favorite basketball coaches, which I, I know not a big sports guy, Ty, but uh, the head coach of the Spurs pop pop right what does he always I've say about when, they're, when, they're of, when when they're always talking about who they're going to draft to be on the spurs they have this final question that they always just ask like is he a spur and and that question just encompasses the culture of who they are as a team a franchise are they a hustler are they scrappy are they you know, do they have ego or not? You know, like they can't have guys with egos on that team. They need scrappers. They like hustling, you know? So it sounds to me like that's kind of your, you know, this barometer that you have as you're interviewing people. Like, is he or her a Vivint Solar athlete? Yeah. You know, are they going to be one? And if they come in with that sort of attitude, you're like, eh, like, I don't want to, I don't want to, insert this guy into one of our teams knowing he's going to disrupt our culture. There's a difference between someone that's just skeptical and afraid of commission and needs information. Like I have no problem dealing with that guy or that girl, like no problem. I can win you over and we can be like buddies by the end of this. But someone that comes in, you guys know what it is. It's just that arrogance. It's like, we don't need you. Like we actually, I, I ask myself, like if I was running my team right now, would I want this girl or this guy on my team? And if the answer is a hard no, I would be pissed off to have this person on my team every day. There's a 0% chance that I'm sending them to the office. It all, it all comes back to Top Gun as most things in life do. <laughs> but you remember, do you remember after Maverick and Goose do their first flyby at Top Gun and, uh, Viper's in there talking to Jester and Jester wants him to bust Maverick, you know, and then at the end Jester says he's like, if you had to go into battle, would you want him with you? You know what I mean? To yeah. which Viper says, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't or know. Jester. He said, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. He had something to prove, but I love that. I actually, I, I always, I always tell leaders when they're recruiting that your program is not for everyone. It's not like good art is not for everybody. That's pop. That's what that's, that's, bubblegum it's it's right what we do is we have the opportunity of a lifetime like greg popovich should not be taking every player with talent because he's trying to make something right so i love that idea of you know we'd love to have you but we don't need you and we actually don't want to have you if you're going to chip away at what we have so create your thing and protect it you know what i mean and anybody that's going to enhance it all day long by the hundreds one that's going to chip away from it it's not worth it 
it's just not worth it. And one bad apple can literally derail an entire team. And so I don't ever want to be responsible Mm -hmm. for that. Hey, well, Amber, I I have tremendous respect for what you do. I love the, I love the relentless work ethic. I love the, the, I I do think we're kind of like, like like-minded thinkers, you and a lot of the people here. And I think that that's why we, we love and appreciate the work that you do so much. It's really fun to see you succeed and you set yourself up so that you succeed and then everybody else succeeds. I mean, it's, it's a, it's really, really impressive. And I think that, I think you're kind of like the shining star in, in talent acquisition for direct sales. I really think that it's a model that, that other people should strive to follow. So thank you so much for your contribution. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for the lessons. This has been really super helpful. Any other, any other thoughts or, 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 things that are just burning in your brain to say before we close out? I just, I mean, every time I wrap up a call with anyone or anywhere I go, I always say Vivint Solar is hands down the greatest opportunity I've ever had in my life. And I'm so thankful every single day that I get to be on this roller coaster with all of you guys, because it's life changing. It has literally changed my life in the last three years. Best thing I've ever done. So I just want to keep, I think you asked me, Adam, about you know, how do you work so hard and stay motivated and do all those things? It's because one, I don't know anything different, but two, because I never want to lose this opportunity. That's great. It's awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Amber. This is, this has been very helpful and thank you guys for tuning in. This has been another episode of Electric People. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.